0: Which we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 30. Hear now the Word of God I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep. And scatters them. The hireling please because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may, I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Our gracious and merciful Father in heaven, as we come now to your word, we ask that you grant your Holy Spirit to illumine the preaching and the hearing of your word. Help us to understand difficult doctrine and illustrations, And to see your goodness in all that you have revealed in your word. Help us to be more rooted and grounded in your word and in your gracious teaching. And help us to manifest your grace in our lives as your spirit works in us. To sanctify us after the image of Christ Jesus, the good shepherd. In whose glorious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we come now to the fifth message in this series on the I Am's of Jesus. I am the Good Shepherd. Someone very close to me observed after last week's message that I covered a lot about shepherding and wondered if there was anything left for this week's sermon on the Good Shepherd. Lest your expectations run ahead to the possibility of finally having a 10 or 15-minute message I want to assure you that we have plenty to cover in this passage. So much, in fact, that it may be difficult to fit it all into one coherent 35 or 45, 40-minute message, but I will try. And to that end, let me provide you the what, the why, and the how for today's message, and hopefully that will help orient you and set your expectations appropriately. First, the what. What? What is the major point of this passage of Scripture, and what is the point of this message? Well, hopefully those are one and the same, and the answer to this one is easy. The point of this passage is that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. If at any point during this sermon you're wondering, what does that have to do with the message, then the answer should trace pretty quickly back to Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Secondly, the why. Why do we need to know Jesus as a good shepherd? Or why do we need to hear this message? Your personal piety may prevent you from asking the question in that particular way, but perhaps we should. And the answer is that in the text before us, we find doctrines, teachings that are difficult for us to truly and fully believe and embrace and over- the centuries, the church universal has been and continues to be divided over these doctrines. We need to know Jesus as he has revealed himself and what he has accomplished for us as his sheep. To that end, to see Jesus as the good shepherd is a great comfort and a helpful picture to meditate upon. And finally, the how. How are we going to approach the text so that we can better understand Jesus? As the Good Shepherd. In order to do this, we will need to explore how Jesus contrasts the Good Shepherd with the hireling and see the impact of the wolves among the sheep and look at some Old Testament passages for additional clarity as we compare Scripture with Scripture. And we will look at the actions of the Good Shepherd, how he lays down his life for the sheep and preserves them, and how this pictures for us. And it actually accomplishes atonement for our sins. And so, with no further ado, turn your attention to verse 11 in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Jesus gives us a vivid, contrasting image between a good shepherd and a hireling. The good shepherd is fully invested in his sheep. He is the owner of the sheep and thus is willing to go to great measures, even to putting his life at risk, to giving his life for the sheep that they would be safe. The good shepherd is one who is worthy of the task of caring for the sheep. But the hireling does not own the sheep. He has no real vested interest in the ultimate outcome of the sheep. He is merely there to collect his daily wage, and is far too often waiting for his shift to be over. And so, when he sees the wolf coming, his first thought is not for the safety of the sheep, but rather for his own personal safety. He is not about to approach the wolf and chase it off, because where there is one wolf, there is likely a pack of wolves. Better to forego a day's wages than to risk his own skin. And he flees. He is personally no worse off if a pack of wolves kills the entire flock than if a lone wolf picks off a single weak sheep. In this sense, the hireling is a worthless shepherd. Zechariah records for us in chapter 11 of his prophecy these words. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, and his right eye utterly Blinded. These are harsh words from the Lord for the worthless shepherd. The foolish shepherd, this hireling, is also described for us in Isaiah 56. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough, and they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his own gain, from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine, and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today, and much more abundant. Oh, the consequences of the folly of the foolish shepherd. The scattered sheep who are left to fend for themselves, which they are not equipped to do. And the sheep who lost lost to the wolves due to the hireling who fled. These are dire consequences of the hireling and for the hireling. As Matthew Henry puts it, the blood of perishing souls is required at the hand of careless watchmen. But we are not under the care of a hireling. We are under the watchful eye of the good shepherd Jesus who gives his life for the sheep. There is no wolf that can come in without him knowing, and he certainly won't flee in the face of the enemy. He tends his sheep. He cares for and mends the sheep. As the good shepherd, Jesus healed the sick and the lame and the blind, and he wept over their sin. When he saw a multitude, he had compassion upon them, for they were as sheep having no shepherd. The good shepherd, despised and rejected of men, but ever tender, ever caring, ever compassionate, fully given to the task that the Father had set before him. But Jesus is not only the good shepherd, Jesus is also the great shepherd. Near the end of the letter to the Hebrews, we read this great benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, the sheep that the Father gave to him for that very purpose, when he has raised him up from the dead, is now become the great shepherd. In his resurrection, the great shepherd defeats the final enemy, that great wolf, death. In his resurrection glory, he continues to be the good shepherd. But as the great shepherd, he gives great and magnificent gifts to the church. He gives the Holy Spirit to be the comforter and the counselor, the paraclete who indwells us that we might never be alone. He gives differing gifts to the church initially, those that establish the foundation of the church, and continually, those that build up and equip the church for the work of the ministry. He gives pastors and teachers, he gives those with special faith. Those with the gifts of exhortation, leadership, giving, mercy, and even the gift of cheerfulness. Remember, Jesus came that the sheep might have life, and that more abundantly. The great shepherd did not give the gift of cheerfulness so that we could then lead lives of stoic, morbid introspection. But Jesus is not just the good shepherd and the great shepherd, but as we read in 1 Peter 5, he is also the chief shepherd. To those faithful under shepherds through the millennia and unto ages to come, Peter writes that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away to those men upon whose shoulders we stand and those that will yet lead the church into every, every corner, every nook and every cranny, every nation, tribe and tongue, at Christ's glorious coming again in victory, to them the chief shepherd bestows a crown of glory. And at the meditation and consideration of such goodness, greatness and glory, we should be filled with unconquerable hope and passion and ready for white-hot, fervent worship. For this good, and this great, and this shepherd is indeed worthy. Our good shepherd is not only worthy, he is also able. The good shepherd Jesus is able to accomplish all that the Father has sent him to do. So continuing now at verse 14, we read, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. As the good shepherd, Jesus knows his sheep. And those sheep that belong to him know that he is the shepherd. And this knowledge between Jesus and the good shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, and his sheep is analogous to the way that God the Father and God the Son know one another. It is an intimate and complete knowledge without ambiguity or any division of loyalty. So for the Christian who believes that there are multiple paths to God, whether it be Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, or even Judaism, that person is not a sheep that knows the Good Shepherd's voice. The sheep who know the good shepherd's voice follow. They don't wander around considering whether or not to follow. They don't know his voice and not follow. They don't not know his voice and follow. They either know and are known by him or they don't. When the sheep who don't know his voice hear him, they flee. They flee even though it is a good voice a true voice, a voice that carries ultimate authority. For the sheep that don't belong to the Good Shepherd is a voice that is unsettling, a voice that brings uncertainty and judgment. Jesus is able to fulfill His role as the Good Shepherd because He laid down His life for the sheep. When Jesus lays down His life, the teaching in view, the doctrine we are to bring to our understanding is the atonement. When Jesus lays down His life for His sheep, then we enter into the oft-debated doctrine of limited atonement or definite atonement or, or particular redemption. But before we consider definite atonement, we need to have a good working definition of atonement itself. One such definition might be The atonement of Christ is the sacrificial work of Jesus for sinners. In his death on the cross, Christ bore in his flesh the just penalty due for the sins of humanity, such that God is satisfied and reconciliation is accomplished for all who will be redeemed. The obedience and death of Christ on behalf of sinners is the ground of redemption. An understanding of atonement runs throughout all of Scripture and finds its ultimate and final manifestation in the death of Jesus on the cross. The first indirect Old Testament reference to the atonement occurs when God provided animal skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, an act necessitating the death of a sinless animal, and hence the shedding of blood on their behalf. The Hebrew word translated atonement is kafar, meaning to cover. This suggests that through the act of atonement, sin is covered so that God no longer sees it. Every atoning sacrifice in the Old Testament pictures, looks forward to, and insofar as it is efficacious, is connected to the crucifixion of Christ. All Christians hold to this general understanding Of the atoning work of Jesus. The disagreement comes when we consider the extent and the power of Christ's atonement. For example, both the Calvinist and the Arminian hold to some form of limited atonement, as both reject universal atonement, acknowledging that Scripture clearly teaches that some men will be punished forever in hell. Eternal life, Matthew 25, 44 through 46, to list but one proof text. There are two premises in tension as we consider the atonement. The first holds that God in Christ purposed to save all men. The second is Christ's atonement has provided everything necessary for salvation. If both of these were true, then universalism holds God in Christ's purpose to save all men. Christ's atonement has provided everything necessary for salvation. But as we have just demonstrated with one verse, this isn't the case. And there are many more. The Arminian, therefore, holds that the first premise is true and denies the second premise by limiting the power of the atonement. The Calvinist des- denies the first, lim- limiting the extent of the atonement and holds to the second. Theologian Lorraine Betner is helpful in his work, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, where he paints for us a vivid word picture. He writes The Calvinist limits the extent of the atonement in that he says it does not apply to all persons, while the Arminian limits the power of it, for he says that in itself it does not actually save anybody the calvinist limits it quantitatively but not qualitatively the armenian limits it qualitatively but not quantitatively for the calvinist it is like a narrow bridge which goes which goes all the way across the stream for the armenian it is like a great wide bridge which goes only halfway across Since both Armenians and Calvinists hold to some form of limited atonement, we can see why that label is not particularly helpful and why Calvinists often prefer particular redemption or definite atonement. Armenians reject definite atonement. Let me be clear. Our brothers and sisters in this camp reject this understanding of definite atonement, believing that God's intention in atonement, atonement, that is, that all men be saved, is frustrated. But upon closer inspection, the Arminian position is not supported by Scripture, and we will now walk through just a few of those passages. The Arminian position holds that the atoning work of Christ merely makes salvation possible. Scripture indicates that the atonement actually accomplishes the salvation of his people. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 Whereas the Armenian understanding holds that some of those that, die, that Christ died for will be lost, the biblical position is that all who were given to Christ will definitely be saved. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all, of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. John 6:37 37-39. Whereas the Arminian position holds that the power of Christ's atonement is not sufficient in and of itself. We must add to it faith and bring that we bring and come to Him on our own. Scripture, on the other hand, reveals that these are graces, unmerited gifts, and that the bridge, so to speak, goes all the way across the stream. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. John six sixty five. 65. So definite atonement or particular redemption is what Jesus has been teaching, at least in part, through the illustration of the Good Shepherd. For his sheep, this is good news indeed. As his sheep, we are humbled by and thankful for this good news. We have nothing to boast about, for it is all of him and nothing of us. Returning to our passage and continuing now at verse 19. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus is speaking and teaching these things in the temple to all who would listen. And once again, the crowd is divided. Some believe, some are tempted to believe because of the miraculous healings, and some think he is mad and demon-possessed. He is walking in Solomon's porch, which was an outdoor colonnade next to Herod's temple, the center of worship at that time. The porch extended approximately 800 feet and included a series of 162 columns some of which were as much as 100 feet tall. It is a grand space. It is in Solomon's porch that a lame man was healed and Peter preached in Acts 3. We see the early church gathering in one accord at that site in Acts 5. As Jesus is walking, the Jews surround him and ask him if he is the Christ, the Messiah prophesied of old. And Jesus answers them, beginning at verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. The, words, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What an answer. So packed with the richness of the glorious doctrines of grace. These words of Jesus are incredibly profound in their revelation of the eternal decree of God, the power of the Father, the unity of the Father and the Son, the preservation of the saints, definite atonement, and the way of salvation. What more could an inquiring Jew ask for? But for those who are not the sheep belonging to the Good Shepherd... They don't believe. They don't believe because they can't believe. They can't believe because the Father hasn't given them to the Son, the Good Shepherd. But the sheep that belong to the Good Shepherd, they believe. They know the Good Shepherd's voice and they follow Him. And they are safe. Safe in this life, for no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand or the good shepherd's hand because the father and the good shepherd are one the sheep are safe eternally and will never perish they have been given to the good shepherd for eternal safe keeping and we can now be sure that all who have been given will surely come for they hear and know his voice there is a one to one correspondence between the number of sheep that the father gives to the good shepherd and the number that he saves by laying down his life and raising it up again. For the sheep who belong to the Good Shepherd, the call of his voice is irresistible. When he calls, they will come. The illustrations and applications that we can draw from the Good Shepherd seem to go on and on, and they are so very helpful in our Christian walk. We read earlier from Isaiah that all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Are we not so very much like sheep? Even once we are saved, we are prone to wander. As the hymn says, "O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are like sheep prone to wander. Wander into danger. Wander away from the safety of the flock away from the straight and narrow path. We also find comfort in Jesus' parable from Luke 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. We can be sure, absolutely sure, that the good shepherd will find his lost sheep. But the question for you this morning is, do you hear his voice? Have you wandered far astray, or were you never part? of his flock if you know his voice but have been wounded and sought refuge in some strange place then flee to the good shepherd for he will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick let him pick you up and lay you across his shoulders and carry you back where there will be rejoicing But if you can't hear his voice, or or not sure that you truly know the voice of the Good Shepherd, then heed the admonition of Isaiah, and seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon He will abundantly pardon indeed. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And how thankful we are for such a good, good shepherd. Our merciful and glorious Father in heaven. It is with thankful hearts that we consider the words of Christ our Savior. We thank You that He is the Good Shepherd and that You have called us to be the sheep of Your pasture. And we thank You for giving us ears to hear Your truth, to know Your voice, and to respond with joy. O Lord, we pray that as You have called us to be true sheep, that You would grant us safety in Christ and keep us secure in Your hand and lead us in the way of eternal life. Make of us a joyful, content, and productive flock and give us hearts for your worship and place ever-ready praises upon our lips for the goodness of Jesus, our Good Shepherd, in whose perfect name we pray. Amen.